The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daniel Solon, uh, who is a best-selling author. His latest book is called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you. Let's just start before we get into some of the, the meat of the book on get an overall sense of the state of retirement uh, in America these days. Are people, for the most part, doing better or worse as far as being prepared uh, for retirement? I don't think there's ever been a time in our uh, in the history of the 80 years that we've been keeping track of this kind of stuff where people have been worse prepared for retirement due, obviously, to the crash of 2008. Um, Americans aren't saving enough. They don't have enough money uh, for retirement. They're not going to be able to maintain their standard of living. And in retirement, and many people uh, believe, many really well-credentialed people who've studied the data believe that we're in for what's called a retirement tsunami, uh, really a wave of poverty of um, retirees who just simply have not planned well enough for retirement. It's kind of strange because you think in the last 30 years or so, we've had the introduction of the 401k where there are literally trillions of dollars saved that you know, people didn't have in prior generations. Uh, there's still a lot of people with pensions. Uh, Social Security has grown dramatically. People get Medicare. Uh, you know, there's a lot of programs that exist now that didn't exist before that you would have th- thought would have improved uh, retirement security. Well, I guess it depends on exactly when we're talking about people retiring. Uh, you know, what determines really your preparedness for retirement is your nest egg as of the date when you stop working. So for people who are preparing to retire or are, are retired right around this time, uh, so many people lost 50, 60, 70, 80% of their nest egg uh, when the market crashed in 2008, they weren't properly allocated. Um, you know, they got very bad advice. They relied on a lot of traditional, frankly, nonsense about how markets work. Uh, and as a consequence, the decimation of their nest egg means that there's just that much less money to take from as their life expand, you know, lifespan increases. So they have to live longer on less, basically. What was the reason that you did? smartest retirement book you'll ever read. There are tons of books out there about retirement. What makes this different from all the other books that are out there in helping people plan for retirement? Well, I think all my books kind of have have the same or similar theme as applied to different demographics. You know, I did one on general investing. I did one on 401k plans. And this one on retirement is intended to help people not just invest for retirement, but also confront all the issues that retirees have to confront, like uh, long-term care, 
um, disability, um, you know, all of the, the kinds of things that are of great concern to retirees, but the, the kind of big kahuna, so to speak, always is how should I invest in retirement and how much money can I take out of my nest egg in order to be sure that I don't run out of money. And my views on investing are very different from views set forth in the vast majority of investing books, not in all of them by any means, because I believe in what's called academic-based investing, academically investing, which is premised on sound economic data as opposed to the musings of talking heads. And um, it's unfortunate that most individual investors are taken in by the securities industry, which leads them to generally a terrible result. So you're saying that uh, a lot of people who are in or near retirement could have done a lot better had they done not what their broker told them and basically not follow the advice they've been hearing for a long time. Absolutely right. I I actually believe that um, if people want to increase their returns by three to four hundred percent over um, any reasonable period of time, ten to twenty years. All the data tells us that the smartest thing they could do is never use a broker or advisor who tells them that they can beat the markets. And I would say virtually every broker believes that they can beat the markets. Yeah. All right, well, you begin in the, in the beginning of the book with what you call deflating inflation. I mean, officially the numbers today on inflation are there is no inflation. CPI is basically at zero. People are not going to be getting a cost of living increase in Social Security uh, this year. So. Why should people worry about inflation? The Federal Reserve has said inflation is not a problem for a long time. So why should people worry about inflation today? Well, first of all, I don't believe in anybody's predictions about what's going to happen in the markets. I mean, the Federal Reserve didn't tell us to get out of the markets in 2008 and to get in in 2009. And uh, we're not worried. Retirees should not be worried about what's inflation today, but rather what's the historical rate of inflation. We know that that's around 3%. Because people, as I indicated, are going to live a long time, we hope, but that's what the data tells us in retirement. People are living 20 and 30 years retired. So what they mainly have to be concerned about is consumption power. In order to maintain a quality of life, as things keep going up 3% a year historically, compounded kind of, right, every year, um, their purchasing power of their dollar is eroding. So it's very important that their investments keep pace with inflation, and I think actually that should be the criteria for retirees, not should I make a killing or can I make a killing in the markets, but will my investments keep pace with inflation so that I can maintain my quality of life? You give an illustration in here about what, uh, how 3% uh, inflation a year will actually erode your dollar. Why don't you give us some of the numbers that relate to that to give, make it more uh, clear for people? Well, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it has a very dramatic effect over any meaningful period of time. You're looking at maybe an erosion of 40% or so of what your dollar can, you know, can purchase. And um, you know, if you have my book open, you probably have a number. I do. You say that after two decades, a value of $100 becomes worth 56, basically. Right now, that's a pretty dramatic, you know, diminution in purchasing power, and it's kind of like a silent killer. I mean, we don't see it every year, and as you indicated, uh, you know, everybody's telling us, well, there is no inflation or there isn't much inflation or whatever, but 
you know, people going to the gas pump today, they're seeing an inflation. It's certainly costing more than it did, you know, a couple of years ago, even a year ago probably. So inflation is kind of like this silent creep that's working to erode your quality of life. And that's how I think retirees should view it. And are you expecting in the future there'll be more inflation? I mean, certainly some people with all the government debt and the printing of money around the world and the decline of the value of the U.S. dollar, some people are saying that we are going to get a much more inflationary time in the, in the future. Is that something you would agree with? Well, what, the only thing I agree with is to look at historical data. And historical data, again, tells us 3% is a reasonable inflation number. Now, one of the things that we know is when we have rampant inflation, very few people are able to call that in advance. So while a lot of so-called financial experts like to be asked questions like that because it gives us First of all, it assumes we have this expertise, and we all like that assumption, and it assumes that our opinion is valuable, and we like that assumption. But the reality is that none of us have those kinds of predictive powers. So I don't know what inflation is going to be in the, in the future. If you look at the data you referred to, it certainly you could make a compelling argument that there will be higher inflation in the future than there is it present, but it, it tends to be very unpredictable. So I just tell everybody, take the long-term 3% number and assume that that's going to continue. It may be better, it may be worse. Now you then go on to say that uh, conservative, in many cases, can be risky. What do you mean by that for retirees? Well, exactly. Look at what happened in 2008. You have this uh, tremendous uh, decline in the markets. Then you have all the talking heads on television talking about, well, could the markets go to zero and things are so unstable and they're so volatile, you must fleet safety. So what happens? People dump their stocks and they went into all kinds of bond funds, some of which were actually risky, some of which were, were not. But now we're looking at the short-term interest rate of bond funds, which is not keeping pace with inflation. So, for example, just to give you a kind of a simple example, let's assume somebody's very risk-adverse, and they say, well, what I want to do is take all my money, and I want to, like, keep it in a safe deposit box. Well, you may think that's safe, but actually it's a very risky you know, investment strategy. You've assured yourself of a loss every year, of roughly the historical rate of inflation. So fleeing to safety can be a very risky strategy. A more appropriate strategy is determine an asset allocation that's appropriate for you and stick with it. And people who did that, they got the benefit of the recovery in 2009. People who dumped all their stocks and panicked, uh, they're left with uh, you know a 1% return in 2009 and a 50% loss in 2008 or whatever. And particularly with money market funds and CDs at the rates they're at today, 1% or less, uh, even if there's some inflation, you're still falling further and further behind. But exactly. Just like people call it conservative, but in fact, it's pretty risky because your, your purchasing power is de degrading all the time. That's right. It's fundamentally flawed as, a, as an investing practice. An appropriate investing practice is you determine an asset allocation, you stick with it, rebalance from time to time. It isn't you try to figure out are the market's going to go up or down, and you say, well, I can, I can tell. If the market's going to go up, I'm going to be in. You know, I'm going to jump in with both feet, and then before they go down, I'm going to get out. That's the prescription for disaster, and that's the kind of advice that 
brokers tend to give, and unfortunately some investment advisors as well, to make it appear that they have this expertise. People feel, well, you're a professional. You must know these things. I'm going to follow your advice and look at what's happened. You talk about uh, stock-picking perils. Uh, what, do you, what is the big peril that most people have when they pick stocks? Well, there are two of them, really. I mean, one is that they have the ability to pick stocks that will outperform other stocks. And it turns out that nobody has this ability with any consistency over a long period of time. I mean, you think about this, the stock market as like a giant casino where all information about every stock is instantaneously transmitted to millions of investors. And the stock price is, is fairly reflected. Because if, if everybody knows everything about a stock, assuming that you don't have and trade on inside information, which is illegal, then the market sets a price. So it doesn't make sense to me that people think that one stock is mispriced uh, and, and they're going to get it for a lower price and make more money. The second problem is when you pick stocks, you're, you're engaging in what's called um, uncompensated risk, which means you're focusing your investments in a small basket of stocks, which gives you a much higher risk for the same expected return as investing in a mutual fund that has the same risk level as those stocks. Stated maybe yeah, more okay. simply. We're going to take a break, Dan. Actually, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is I'm speaking. Jordan Goodman speaking with uh, Dan Solon, uh, whose new book is called "The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read." We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called 
Kiss Your Light Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, My guest this hour is Dan Solon who is the author of The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thanks, Jordan. And just tell people uh, a website and how they can find out more about the book. Uh, you can find out about all my books at smartestinvestmentbook.com. And is there one specifically related to the retirement book? That's, um, you'll see it on that website. All of my books are there, and you can just click on whichever book you're interested in learning more about and all the information uh, more than you want to know will pop up. <laughs> and just tell us the other books that are on that website that you've done as well. Uh, the Smartest Investment Book You'll Ever Read, which is a general investing book, and the Smartest 401k Book You'll Ever Read, which tells you how to deal with your 401k plan. Terrific. Okay. Uh, well, we were talking about uh, it's hard to pick individual stocks. You said it's also important to balance risk and return. Uh, what is the best way uh, to do that, to have a diversified portfolio and get the highest return for lowest risk. Well, let's talk about why it's so important to be diversified because you know, there's two kinds of risk called market risk, like if the stock market goes down by 500 points, probably whatever you hold is going to go down. But then there's something called idiosyncratic risk, which is like Bill Gates dies or Stephen Jobs dies, a risk that's unique to a particular stock. So you need to diversify out idiosyncratic risk. And the only way to do that is by holding a large number of stocks. And the best way to do that, obviously, is through mutual funds. So I don't think anybody should hold individual stocks. I think everybody should have a broadly diversified portfolio of low-cost, globally diversified um, mutual funds, index funds of stocks and bonds, stock index funds and bond index funds. And there are two kinds. There's passively managed and actively managed. You're saying index funds. So you're saying people should only be in passive uh, index funds and not in active funds at all? Right. Let's define those terms. I mean, index funds attempt to track an index like the S&P 500. And so it's pretty automatic if you're in a, oh, an index fund from a good family like Vanguard. You know that if you're in an S&P 500 index fund, you're going to get the returns of the S&P 500 index less very low costs. Actively managed funds, on the other hand, given our example, 
a manager says, well, I can beat the returns of the S&P 500 index, and that's what I'm going to set out to do, and I'll be measured by whether I, can, whether I in fact, succeed in beating that index or not. The data on, on active managers beating an index is terrible. Only one in three beat the index in any one year. About a third of all actively managed funds go out of business over any 10-year period. And over any given 10-year period, less than five in 100. In other words, 95% of all actively managed funds will underperform the index. So anybody who looks at the data dispassionately and objectively concludes that they're much better off capturing market returns by purchasing only low-cost index funds for both the stock and the bond portion of their portfolio. You say that high fund expenses are your mortal enemy. What kind of difference does it make to have the expenses of an index fund versus an actively managed fund? Well, huge, because the average, called it's called an expense ratio, which is the the costs of administering and running the fund, salaries, overhead, analysts. For an index fund, because they don't have to have a lot of costs because they're not trying to beat the index, you'll find that the average cost that's deducted from your returns automatically by the fund is around one quarter of one percent. But for actively managed funds, it's about one and a half percent. That's a tremendous difference when you start compounding from year to year. And it's that difference in cost which accounts primarily for the difference in performance. That's a very serious diminution in your ability to reach your retirement goals when you're giving up, say, 1% a year compounded. And brokers aren't going to particularly be pushing index funds because they don't really make anything on them, right? That's right. And that's the great travesty of the securities industry, it seems to me. They know, like all of us who study this this area know, that what I'm saying is is a way to markedly increase returns of the average investor. There's data done by a company called Dalbar, which shows that investors who follow the strategies that I'm talking about will will have returns some 600% higher than those investors who don't. I'd say 5 to 600% higher. So in the last 20 years, equity stock investors who followed the advice of their brokers had returns of about a little under 2% a year. Very, very weak returns. But people who just captured the market had returns closer to 8% a year. So there's a no-brainer, simple, cheap way to do it, and there's a complicated, expensive way to do it, and it's very counterintuitive for people to understand that the no-brainer cheap way trumps the expensive, complicated way. And this is what you call the investing secret your broker won't tell you. Is that basically the idea? That's basically the idea. That's right. Uh, you're and, also you, saying and you, you correctly label the reason, which is self-interest. They can't make money giving this advice. Yeah. One of the things you recommend are so-called target date funds. Maybe you can explain how those work and why that's a good idea. Well, I like target date funds. So just to define the term, target date funds are funds that have a date associated with their name, like the Vanguard 2025 target date fund. And the 2025 in that example would refer to a projected retirement date. And they start with an asset allocation that's more aggressive, a higher percentage of stocks, a lower percentage of bonds. But every year 
they adjust to become more and more conservative, adding to the bond portion, subtracting from the stock portion, so that by the time you retire, you have a risk-appropriate portfolio for you. They are, I think, an excellent one-size-fits-all, with a couple of exceptions. First, you want to be sure that the underlying funds in the target date funds are index funds, not actively managed funds. The leader in world-class, low-cost index funds, with whom I have no association, uh, in target funds and target date funds and otherwise is Vanguard. Um, They're one of the few where the target date funds, the underlying funds, are index funds. And you also want to be sure that the asset allocation in these funds is appropriate because since it's just one asset allocation that keeps changing, it may not be appropriate for everyone. For example, You could have two people making $50,000 a year, but one has a $5 million trust fund and the other one doesn't. So the one with a $5 million trust fund might want to put together his, his or her own portfolio that would be more aggressive because he could take more of a risk than the person who didn't have that added safety net. Yeah. You also talk about resisting the allure of exchange traded funds, which seems a bit contradictory. I mean, ETFs are by their nature low cost. There's lots of uh, you know, kind of S&P 500 or index ETFs, but you're saying that uh, index mutual funds are better than ETFs. Is that right? Well, what I'm saying is that, by and large, in this country, we have a we're, we're fortunate, unlike Canada, for example, which has very high expense ratio funds. We have low expense ratio index funds, and therefore, I don't really see the need for ETFs. But there are some ETFs that are um, comparable to the low-cost index funds, and I don't have a problem with people using them. My problem with ETFs generally, exchange-traded funds, is that they've been splintered into so many little groups and sectors that they encourage people to trade and to pick sectors that are going to outperform other sectors, whereas what I'm telling people to do is buy three index funds or three exchange-traded funds that capture the global stock market returns and the domestic bond market returns. And you can do that with just three funds. There are hundreds of index of exchange-traded funds. For that matter, there are many index funds. But the, the marketing of these exchange-traded funds is, is something like this. It, we now have this new fund that specializes in cancer research companies. Isn't that great? You can go buy that fund. And so this encourages people to like pick little sectors that they think are going to outperform other sectors, and that's the beginning of, the, of a very slippery slope that I don't want investors to engage in. So there's huge numbers of ETFs coming out all the time, and you're saying basically ignore all of them except for the uh, broader-based index kinds of funds. Exactly, exactly right. Or go with one of the broader-based exchange-traded funds. But don't don't start don't don't be brought into that allure of oh there are all these funds and I can just figure out like whether Southern Spain is going to outperform Northern Africa or whatever. I just think it's a I think they're marketing ploys that are geared to generate commissions. Um, speculation, and um, I just think that investors are ill-advised to succumb to those temptations. Your next chapters are in the bond area, and uh, you talk about bonds in a nutshell. What are some things that people should know about bonds they tend not to know? 
Well, I think what they t- tend not to uh, what they tend not to know is they think that bonds are all created equal, and they hear bond fund, and they they don't understand what a cardinal rule of investing, which is more returns equals more risk. There are no exceptions to that rule. If your if your advisor is telling you that he can squeeze a couple more points out on the upside, give you higher interest then you have to ask, well, there must be additional risk associated with this. And people don't understand that. So you have to always be worried about the relationship of risk and reward when it comes to bond funds as well as stock funds. So you're basically saying in the bond fund area, similar to stocks, you like the uh, the bond market index funds like what Vanguard has. I I like exactly the low-cost total bond market index funds that benchmark the iShare aggregate bond index. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Solon, uh, who is the author of many financial books. His latest one is called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isak provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isak, where America learns to invest best from the boardroom to you voice america business network you've been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan welcome back to the money answer show this is jordan goodman your host my guest this hour is dan solon who is the author of the new book called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thanks, Jordan. And just again, tell people uh, the website where they can find out more about this. Um, SmartestInvestmentBook.com You have a whole section here on annuities. Uh, First of all, maybe just do a quick definition of annuities, and then what are some things you like about annuities and some of the things you do not like about annuities. Okay, well, annuities basically are kind of a, uh, combination insurance and investment product can be very complicated or, or, or very simple. Um, there are variable annuities, uh, there are fixed annuities, and then there are variations of variable annuities. Uh, the appeal seems to be um, that people think they can have the best of both worlds with some kinds of these annuities that by by picking their investments within the annuity, if the stock markets go up, they're going to benefit. But if the stock markets go down, there's going to be a um, some kind of a floor so that they're not going to lose too much. And they are basically uh, very high commission products. So people are are highly motivated to sell them. They're known as amongst the highest commission products there are. The most common kinds of the most common annuity that most people are familiar with is called a variable annuity. And all that means is that you you pay you can pay over time usually or or all at once. And in exchange for this payment, what the insurance company says is, well if you die you're gonna get a death benefit. And while you're alive we have these investment options. You can kind of pick how you're going to invest your money and then um, at the if, if you die, you obviously your state gets the death benefit, but the death benefits no worse, no less than the total amount of money you put in, and that seems to be the appeal for people. Um, so that's I hope that's a fairly and, decent and do you think definition that's a good idea? of variable you think annuities. Variable annuities are something they would want to should should go into. I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. I'm saying, do you think variable annuities you just described are a good thing for people to get into or not? I think they're a terrible investment. I don't understand why anybody uh, gets into variable annuities. I really view them as uh, products that were invented to be sold and to benefit people selling them. I don't see the benefit at all to people who are buying them. And the reason, my reasons are really very simple. If you follow my strategy for putting together a simple portfolio of globally diversified index funds, your investment returns are going to be significantly greater than they are within your variable annuity simply because the cost of my recommended portfolios is so low and the cost of variable annuities is so high. 
So on the investment side, I view it as a, a pretty bad investment. On the insurance side, I don't see the benefit of saying that your, the death benefit will never be less than the amount you put in because these are long-term investments. So most people are obviously going to start when they're younger, and over any meaningful period of time, it's very unlikely that their investment's going to be underwater. So that just doesn't seem to me to be a benefit that's worth anything. So when I look at high costs, high commissions, poor investment choices, usually actively managed funds, um, death benefit that could be purchased much cheaper through a term policy or even a whole life policy, I don't see the benefit of variable uh, annuities. And how about specifically equity index annuities, the ones you were saying that do give you a floor but give you the ability to participate if the market goes up? Well, just when you would think that there could be nothing worse than uh, variable annuities, along comes equity index annuities. Um, these, I think, in, in the pecking order of horrible investments, I have to rank these as pretty much number one. First, it, it would take a, an actuary to figure out what the costs of these things are. I mean, they are so confusing that even economists I know have trouble uh, parsing out all of the costs. Second, you don't get the, ups the entire upside of the market because the complex formula is such that you get a significant discount off of market returns. Um, third, they tend to be a, they're a liquid. You have a penalty if you take them out, be, if you want to take out your money before age 59 and a half, which is similar to variable annuities. Um, there, there are adverse tax consequences associated with them. I mean, just if anybody recommends an equity index annuity, you should just run in the opposite direction. And one annuity you do like are immediate annuities. What is different about those than the ones you've just been speaking about? I actually do like immediate annuities. Immediate annuities are a very simple product, unlike variable and equity index annuities. You take a lump sum payment, you give it to, a, to an insurer, and the insurer in exchange says, I will give you a lump sum on a, every month or every quarter or every year for a stated period of time, which can be for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life plus 15 years, for the rest of your life and the rest of your spouse's life or partner's life or whatever. And what the data shows is that people who have immediate annuities for a portion of their assets, specifically people who work things out so that if there's a difference between their income and their expenses, the payment from the immediate annuity covers that difference, they run a very reduced chance of running out of money over their lifetime. And the best low-cost low immediate annuities can be purchased from Vanguard or from a company that's well-known in the educational area, but they do sell to the general public called TIAA, CREF, C-R-E-F as in Frank. Um, the one variable with immediate annuities is inflation, because if you're getting a fixed rate, a fixed return, and it's not inflation protected, you're not necessarily going to be protected uh, you know, for inflation. So you could look for inflation-protected immediate annuities. I think Vanguard offers them, but there's conflicting data on whether they're worth the reduced payment that you're getting. So that's something that everybody has to decide. But they're, a good, they're something that are, again, not sold aggressively, 
because they're low commission items. You can get them directly, no broker or advisor. But I think more people should look into them. You have a whole section in the book on withdrawal strategies and taking money out of 401ks and so on. What are some of the basic rules that you would have people follow in withdrawing money from retirement plans? Well, people have like different buckets of income, what I call different buckets of income. They have after-tax accounts, uh, and they've got um, tax-deferred accounts, and they've got tax-free accounts. So Roth, for example, Roth IRA, that money comes out tax-free. Traditional IRA and deferred uh, retirement plans, that money comes out taxable, fully taxable at ordinary income rates. After-tax accounts, if you've held that money for a year and a day, that's going to come out at capital gains rates. So everybody's situation is different, but they have to keep in mind what the tax ramifications are of the money that they're taking down, and they have to like balance that against, well, what's my income this year? Am I in a low-tax bracket or a higher-tax bracket? If I'm in a higher-tax bracket and anticipate being in a lower tax bracket in the future, you might want to take out your, um, if it's going to trigger you to get into a higher tax bracket, you might want to take money from your Roth first because that has no tax consequences. Um, So everybody's different, but just people should keep in mind the different tax consequences of the different kinds of accounts. You have a whole section on Social Security as well, and what you call winning the Social Security lottery. Uh, in general, do you think it's better for people to start taking Social Security when they first become eligible for it at 62 or to wait as long as possible? So mathematically, this is a complicated question. I mean, I like the Social Security website, which helps with what's called determining your break-even point. And the problem with all these calculations is we could do them very easily if we knew when we were going to die because then you could figure out Am I going to actually capture more money if I start taking Social Security as early as possible, which is around age 62, rather than waiting until age 65 where I get my full Social Security benefit? I, obviously, none of us know when we're going to die. Uh, so that's one variable that makes things difficult. The second variable is some people have no choice. I mean, they desperately need the money. If they desperately need the money earlier, then they don't have a choice. But if you have a choice, what many people, particularly men, do not understand is that a very significant percentage of widows in this country are living in poverty because their husbands made the election to take early Social Security, which reduces their benefits after the husband dies. And we know that people are very poorly prepared for this, for retirement generally, but specifically for death of a spouse. So we have to keep in mind what's going to happen to our women tend to outlive men. So with that in mind, most people, if they can afford it, should wait as long as possible and take defer Social Security until they get their full Social Security benefit. Are you concerned about uh, Social Security going forward? I mean, the baby boom is just now starting to retire. Is it something that you think people should be able to, to count on or not going forward? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jordan. I don't know. I think I think almost anyone looking at what's going on these days has to be concerned about whether this money is really going to be there. And I don't know where that concern gets us other than anxiety, but I I think I think you would really have to have 
a certain amount of skepticism given what's happening with health care costs, whether Medicare or Social Security is going to be around. Yeah, a lot of people worry about that for sure these days and with, with lots of justification. Okay, yeah. we're going to take a break. Again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Dan Solon, whose new book is called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, tune in as the kitchen table entrepreneur addresses business ownership concerns. Business novice or not, let the kitchen table entrepreneur help you each week as we present and discuss the meat and potato issues of starting and running a business. Join the discussion. There's always room for your thoughts and opinions. The kitchen table entrepreneur is a valuable program you should be tuning into every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business. Network. Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There will be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Dan Solon, uh, whose book is called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. One of the areas you talk about is reverse mortgages, and you say, are they too good to be true or not? Uh, maybe just explain to people what a reverse mortgage is and the, the pros and cons of getting into them. Well, reverse mortgage is kind of a unique product. I mean, basically, if you have equity in your house, and it's primarily for people who have no loan against their, their, against their home, 
what the lender will do is we'll say, well, we'll give you a loan based on a percent of the appraised value of your house, and you never have to pay it back. So we're going to basically give you a mortgage. You're going to get a check. You can get it over time or all at once. You can use it however you want. And the only time you'll have to pay it back is when you die, the house will be sold, and the lender will recover the proceeds. Or if you sell the house and move to another house, then that triggers repayment of the loan. You say uh, that reverse mortgage costs can make usury look good. Is that correct? So what are some of the fees involved in in taking out a reverse mortgage? Well, first, you know, I don't want to be too glib about my negative feelings about reverse mortgages because what's happened with seniors is that they're at a level of desperation now that we haven't seen in 50 years. So I do want to say initially that for some people, regardless of the cost, a reverse mortgage may be a lifeline, and those people should look into reverse mortgages. But if you have any other option, reverse mortgages are just ridiculously expensive, and there are so many fees relating to closing costs and appraisal costs and inspection costs that they, they can add up to some, in some cases I've seen them as high as 20% of the amount that you're being loaned. So the the fees can just be out of control, and that's what, of course, motivates people to sell reverse mortgages. They're very profitable. It's very profitable to sell them. You also have a chapter on saying, should you sell your life? These are so-called life settlements. Uh, When does it make sense to sell a a cash value policy that you have on yourself? Well, again, this is an area fraught with problems. there are kind of two two kinds of poli- two kinds of insurance schemes that go on. One is of people who come to you and say, "Well, you have a policy; it's got cash value. Sell it to me at a discount because you don't need it anymore. You don't need the death benefit, uh, and you won't need the cash. Um, you won't need the cash." The problem with them again is uh, it's kind of an unregulated area, so you have a lot of unscrupulous people in this uh, doing business in this way. There's something to me, this is not a financial observation, just kind of a personal one, kind of creepy about having people I don't know stand to benefit if I die. So I'm, I, don't like, I don't like the fundamental concept of having strangers own insurance policies. And again, the cost can be, the, di- the discount from the cash value can be very high. So if you really need the money, I would tap into the cash value. Uh, these are two areas that people use reverse mortgages and life settlements that they're kind of up against it and don't have other assets. You talk about other lifelines that people who are, or even you say there's help when it seems hopeless. What are some of the, the ways that people can get help if they, if they don't want to sell their homes or their life insurance policies? Well, this is the saddest part of the book. When I wrote this book, it really was very depressing to write it because it used to be that things like food stamps uh, like all the social um, services that are available from cities and states. There are, there are programs that will help you repair your home, that will help you with your heating bills. Um, obviously, people are familiar with the food stamp program and, and many other social services for seniors. A, the website that AARP has, aarp.com, does a very good job of listing all of these. Um, and the reason I, I found it so depressing was that it used to be that 
very few people needed to avail themselves of these services. I mean, these really are lifeline services, and now we're seeing this move into mainstream um, mainstream America, certainly amongst uh, seniors, and that's the sad part of it. But I, the the positive part of it is that so, there is some help, and people just have to kind of swallow their pride and say that this is a helping, a lifeline. I've spent my life working, and I'm entitled to take advantage of these programs and get back on my feet again. You talk about uh, care before Medicare. What are some of the things people need to know in the health insurance area before they qualify for Medicare? Well, the the real issue with our, we have many issues, as everybody knows, with our health care system. Uh, there are many deficiencies in this system, and uh, the the big problem that seniors have is health care insurance. So one of the things that people need to know is when they're deciding whether or not to give up their jobs is they could be giving up and most likely will be giving up their health insurance if they have it at their employment. COBRA, of course, is a program that permits you to buy the health insurance for 18 months after you leave your job. But if you're planning to retire, you have to look into, and if you don't qualify for Medicare, you're going to ha- you have to look into some kind of temporary health insurance that will bridge the gap between employment and Medicare. And individual policies are very expensive. There are high-risk policies available in most states, but they're even more expensive. Um, many people look into kind of group policies that you can get if you're a writer, for example, or an artist. There are associations. Uh, again, AARP is a good resource, but health insurance is a critical issue for seniors. What do you, if assuming the current bill, you know, they have to be reconciled between the House and the Senate, something like what has passed both sides gets through Congress, how will that affect health insurance for retirees? I don't think it's actually going to affect health insurance for retirees very much because uh, retirees who've reached age 65 qualify for Medicare um, and I, you know, the, there still will be Medicare. I don't know how the final bill is going to come out in terms of whether there will be Medicare cuts. I mean, we have a more fundamental problem, which is if we keep reducing the compensation to doctors for treating Medicare patients, you know, we're going to run out of doctors who are going to be willing to treat patients in exchange for Medicare reimbursement. This could be a very serious problem for retirees. They're talking about cutting something like $400 billion in Medicare spending over the next 10 years, so you think that would affect retiree health care to some extent? I think it, I think it will, if that goes through, I think that could affect uh, retiree health care to a great extent because you're going to have physicians saying, I won't treat you for this reimbursement. Um, you, what I will do is treat you at my regular cost, and you, I'll submit your Medicare payment, and you, but you have to make up the difference. Yeah, and that's already that's happening. That's a huge problem. Yeah, you have a, a chapter on long-term care. When is it appropriate to get uh, long-term care insurance? Well, I think basically, it kind of as a general rule of thumb, um, if you have net worth under two million dollars, which is most people, you really should look into long-term care insurance because the cost of nursing home care is very, very expensive. Depending, it varies greatly depending on where you live, and Long-term care, which is another confusing area, 
because uh, there's so many different kinds of policies, different cost policies, uh, for whatever it's worth. I looked into some of the policies, and a company I like for that is Northwestern. I think they have a very good policy. Berkshire Life has a good policy. It's very important to go with a reputable insurance carrier because it's easy to buy this insurance. But it, what we found is that many insurance companies uh, deny claims, some almost arbitrarily, so it doesn't do you any good unless they're going to honor the claim if you need the long-term care. A lot of people let them lapse as well, I guess. They don't pay it long enough until when they need it, they don't have it in force anymore. Exactly. So you have to you have to be sure that you can afford the premiums um, or it doesn't make any sense to buy it because just when you need it, it could lapse. You also have a chapter on uh, leaving a will. Uh, do you find a lot of people getting to retirement and still not having uh, done wills? You know, in, our, in this country, maybe it's the same way everywhere, Jordan, but we tend to deny death, and we all think we're immortal. So so many people die without a will, which is a um, really terrible thing, because now the state is in charge of divvying up your assets, and they, don't, they certainly don't do a tax-efficient job. It's slow and expensive. Everybody should have a will. Very good. Well, we've covered a lot, but not everything in your book. Uh, it's been a pleasure being with Dan Solon, whose new book is called The Smartest Retirement Book You'll Ever Read. Again, his website to find out more about this is smartestinvestmentbook.com. Thanks so much for Thanks being so on the show, Dan. Thanks so much, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you again next week on The Money Answer Show. Bye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 